This world, <clears throat> excuse me, is full of cheap imitations of the real deal. You can find knockoffs of all the name brands. Certainly Rolex watches are uh, abounding as far as cheap imitations are concerned, as well as Ray-Ban glasses. <clears throat> Quite a number of years ago, my wife <clears throat> took a trip to New York City <clears throat> shortly after we were married, and uh, we didn't have much money at the time. And she came across a real deal. Uh, Ralph Lauren shirts for next to nothing. And so she bought me a would-be Ralph Lauren shirt. Well, when she got it home and I looked at it a little more carefully, uh, I realized that the logo was inverted. It was backwards. Um, that's not such a big deal to have an inverted logo. But one sleeve length was about four inches longer than the other. <laughs> to wear it, I had to pull one sleeve up and the other was down. Uh, I don't have it here to display because I didn't keep it. Uh, it wasn't worth keeping. Cheap imitations aren't worth keeping. They aren't worth celebrating. And unfortunately, one of the most imitated elements of uh, the Christian faith is love. Love. It's talked about everywhere. People profess to be demonstrating love. People talk about loving one another, but uh, the world's love is a cheap imitation of the real deal, of the love that is to be manifested among the children of God. Certainly, the love of God in Christ Jesus is unfathomable as we think about his death in our behalf. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God commended his love toward us, and while that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God for us is truly amazing, and our love for one another is to be also amazing. We reach an exhortation that comes in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that says, let your love be genuine. Let your love be real. Let your love be sincere. Let your love be authentic. Let your love be what it is intended to be, what God has commanded us to do in showing love one towards another. And then it goes on to say, abhor what is evil, hold fast to that which is good. For love always does good. Love is always right. Love never performs evil. Love never does that which is untoward. Love never acts in a harmful or destructive manner. We are then given these characteristics of love in our text as to how love is to be shown towards one another. This text can be divided into two sections, which uh, I have done. The first section deals with love among brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the second section talks about the way in which we're to love those who are not brothers and sisters in Christ, how we're to respond to them. That is for another message. This morning we're just looking at these verses that deal with love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the theme is, what are the characteristics of genuine love that is to be shown towards 
our brothers and sisters in Christ. What are those characteristics of genuine love? Well, first, the love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is to be a familial love, a familial love. Notice in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. In the scriptures, love is not primarily an emotion, but rather a choice. The emphasis is not so much on an emotional response. When we talk about falling in love, uh, we perhaps think about a giddy feeling or a warm that uh, is expressed or perhaps a passion, a desire for another individual. In the scriptures, uh, love has to do more with a choice. We choose to love others. And we make choices that are in keeping with showing love. Uh, we can show love to people or we can be miserable. Uh, we can make the right choice or we can make the wrong choice. But here, the emphasis is on the relationship that is foundational to showing love. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ because through faith in Christ, we have become spiritually related to one another. Uh, we are to have this brother-sister relationship. There's an old saying, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Well, in a similar fashion, you can pick your friends, but you cannot pick your brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a unique duty and responsibility to our fellow believers. Now, we're to love everyone, but there are degrees of love. Uh, certainly, we understand that we are to love everyone. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves, but husbands are to love their wives. And we know that that means there's to be a particular love that is manifested between a husband and a wife, a unique commitment that's often manifested through the sharing of wedding vows. Commitments that are made to one's spouse. Likewise, there's to be a unique love that exists within the family. Parents for children, children for parents, brothers for sisters, sisters for brothers. A unique commitment to each other. Uh, the old saying that blood is thicker than water. And, and so there is this desire to have a, uh, a bond that exists. Well, here we are to find that there is a, a bond that exists among the children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the kind of love that we are to have to each other, that kind of commitment. Later, as I say in the text, it will deal with those that are outside. But this morning, those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to have a precious and unique commitment and responsibility to each other. Secondly, the love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is to be an uplifting love. Notice the second half of verse 10, where it says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. A great opposition to love is envy. Envy destroys love. Joseph's brothers, if you remember the Old Testament story of of Joseph and his brothers, 
Joseph's brothers were envious of Joseph. Genesis 37, 11, and his brothers were jealous of him. His brothers were jealous of him. And that jealousy resulted in hatred. Genesis 37, 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age and they made him a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They developed a hatred for Joseph. It says they couldn't speak peaceably. They argued. They fought. They were bitter towards each other. And if you know the story, eventually the brothers sell Joseph into slavery. They didn't love him. They hated him. They were envious of him. We're not to be envious of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not to be envious of their success. We're not to be envious of their promotions. We're not to be envious of their skills or their abilities or their talents. First Corinthians, that great love chapter, says love is patient and it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. And so with that in mind, Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are to outdo one another in uh, honoring one another. We're to promote others. We all know what it is to be self-promoting, to speak of our own worth, our own value, of wanting it to be known, what we have done, what we have accomplished, uh, wanting to be praised and respected. Well, here, the emphasis is not being self-promoting, but promoting of others. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor being that aspect of promoting, of exalting, of lifting up, of speaking well of others and wanting them to be held in high reputation. In general, a competitive spirit runs contrary to love. The whole element of a competitive spirit uh, seeks to gain dominance over another individual. Uh, So in a competitive spirit, we are out to conquer, gain supremacy. The whole thought of winning is that others are being defeated. We want to come in first, not last in a race. Uh, We want to be leaders of the pack, not followers. Uh, We want to climb the corporate ladder. We don't want to be on the bottom rung. So competition usually has a negative connotation. It's putting ourselves before others. So there's a unique irony in this verse that says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's to be a a competition. We are trying to be better than others at promoting others. Uh, It's a a strange kind of irony. We are to be trying to outdo each other in showing respect and appreciation for one another. That is, we are to be more desirous of giving honor than receiving honor. More concerned with expressing our thankfulness than receiving thanks. More concerned about other people's achievements being recognized than our own. Wanting to demonstrate appreciation more than being appreciated. 
giving credit rather than taking credit. Being concerned not that we may be overlooked, but that they may be overlooked. Not self-promoting, but promoting of others. Philippians puts it this way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, our immediate context, it says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but rather think of others. Thirdly, the love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is to be a hard-working love. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Last week, we saw that we were to use our gifts that God has given to us. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. And so we put a strong emphasis last week on using our spiritual gifts. Verse 7, if serving, if service, in serving. The one who teaches, in teaching. Exercise and use your gift. That using of our gifts benefits the body of believers collectively. Verse 4 of Romans 12 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we through many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so as we use our gifts, we, we benefit each other. The analogy is of the body. And as the ear hears, it benefits the eye. As the eye sees, it benefits the hand that moves. As the hand that moves, it benefits the arm. There are benefits that are to be had as the body exercises its gifts. It's sad when not all of the body functions properly. Uh, when one cannot see or one cannot hear. But what is unique about the body is that if, for whatever reason, we lose our sight or we lose our hearing, our other senses tend to make up for that. So that people who lose their, their sight or people that lose their hear, hearing, so uh, the person who loses their sight, their, their hearing becomes much more attuned uh, they are able to hear and notice things that people with sight do not notice because they have to make up for the lack of sight. People who see but cannot hear become lip readers and are able to perceive things that people who have hearing uh, can't perceive. But you see, those, those bodily parts are, are functioning in ways and with effort that is not originally intended. Uh, those skills that are being developed are to make up for the lack in another element of the body. In this verse, we are to learn that when people don't pull their weight, when not everyone is using their gifts, it means that the rest of the body 
somehow has to make up for that lack. Just as the body that cannot see or the body that cannot hear. If there are people in the body that aren't functioning, the rest of the body has to step up and uh, supply that need. This verse teaches us that we are not loving when we fail to pull our own weight. We aren't loving when we use and take advantage of other people. We aren't loving when other people have to take on what we should be doing. It isn't very loving for us if people are having to step in and carry more of the weight, more of their load to make up for our lack of service. So the admonition in verse 11 is threefold. First, don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy. That's not showing love. Laziness is not loving. Positively, be enthusiastic. Be energetic. Found in the words in verse 11, be fervent in spirit. Be eager. Desiring to participate. Get involved. Look for ways in which you can exercise your gift. It's the exact opposite of being slothful in zeal. Rather than having to be begged to do something, go on the offensive and look for things that you can do. Volunteer. Say, what ways can I use my gift? Here I am. I want to be used. As opposed to trying to hide in the shadows and uh, people having to search you out to see whether or not that you will, you will serve. Which brings us to the last admonition in verse 11. Render service to the Lord. For that is not just a benefit to one another, but it is pleasing in God's sight. It is that aspect of Romans 12 verse 1, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord. Next, the love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is a spiritual love. It is flowing out of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, a threefold admonition, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. There is a relationship that exists with Excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, following to the very end of the book. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are what we usually think of as the theological section. And Romans chapter 12 is the practical or applicational section of the book of Romans. It is the application, it is the inference, it is the implication and utilization of the doctrine that's taught in the first 11 chapters. That's why Romans chapter 12 begins with, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Based on all that we have learned in the first chapter, uh, first 11 chapters of Romans, I beseech you therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is your reasonable service. It only makes sense. So I'd like you to go back with me and look at the doctrinal underlying pinnings of verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, 
Be constant in prayer. Now, what does that have to do with love? Let's go back to Romans chapter 5, if you would turn with me. Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it begins by teaching us that we have a relationship to God by faith. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our relationship to Christ is maintained by grace and results in hope. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This hope enables us to rejoice even in the midst of sufferings. Not only that, verse 3, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So here we find these three elements, rejoice, tribulation, and hope. Now verse 5. All of this is because God's love has been manifested to us by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So through the Holy Spirit, God's love for us and for others has been poured into our hearts. He has made it possible for us to love in ways in which we normally would not love. The Holy Spirit is producing love in our hearts. A love that in Romans chapter 5 flows out of a relationship to Jesus Christ and enables one to rejoice, rejoice in tribulation, and to have hope. Now comes the application Back to our verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You see the connection and how it relates to love. Because of the Spirit of God at work in our hearts, we're to show love towards each other by rejoicing in hope. We need to expect God to be doing a work in our brother's and sisters in Christ. In Romans chapter five, the hope is this transformation of character. By the grace of God, we who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our savior are not what we once were. God is at work in us, making us a different person from what we were formerly. Uh, old sinful habits are being put off and new godly habits are replacing them. And we're growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are making changes gradually. And we have hope that by the grace of God, we are going to continue to change and develop and mature and be better people tomorrow than we are today. So love rejoices in hope. Love anticipates that my brother and sister in Christ tomorrow is going to be different than they are today. Love says that this individual that I struggle with, you know, God is going to do a wonderful work in their life and mature them 
and develop them and grow them. A husband and a wife can have hope in a marriage saying that God can be at work. God can grow us. God can change us. God can unite us. So love rejoices in hope, is patient in tribulation. For, not, for again, it's expecting God to work. And so now there is a willingness to wait for God to work, not to be impatient, not to rush ahead, but allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that is necessary in my brother and sister in Christ. So in love, I wait for God to deliver them. I wait for God to mature them. I wait for God to help them. I wait for God to bring them to repentance. I don't get angry with them. I don't cut them off. I don't belittle them, but I wait for God to do a work in their lives, which then brings us to the third admonition, and that is constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. We should always be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is our ultimate hope. That is the climax. That is the way in which we anticipate God at work. You see, we have hope that God will work. We are patient and waiting for God to work, and then we are praying for God to work. We bring our brothers and sisters before the Lord, not in a judgmental spirit of condemning, but in recognizing there are real needs. Help my brother with his temper. Help my brother or sister with her jealousy. Help them with their self-absorbedness. Help them with their spiritual apathy, their indifference. Again, not in a judgmental way, but a recognition that we all have needs. We all fail. We all disappoint. And rather than throw in the towel, which is what the world does and gives up on people, we don't give up on people. Not because of our faith in humanity, but because our faith in God. Our faith in God will not allow us to give up on our brothers and sisters in Christ. For we know one day they're going to be sinless. And one day we're going to have a perfect fellowship with one another for all eternity. That person that we have a struggle with today, (laughs) we're going to love with our whole heart and mind and soul in eternity. And in this life, we work towards that end. Constant in prayer. The love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is to be a generous love. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Again, this verse is divided in two parts. The first is helping to alleviate the needs of fellow believers. Helping to alleviate the needs of fellow believers was a crucial element of concern in the early church. Paul even made the elevating, alleviating of the needs of his fellow believers a central activity in his ministry. The book of Romans opens with the fact that Paul had, to this point, never visited the city of Rome. 
They are upset with Paul because he had not visited them. And so he has to defend the fact that he has not yet come to the Romans. It's not because he doesn't care about them. And he opens the chapter of chapter 1 by saying, Oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but have been prevented thus far. Oftentimes I was expecting to come, but things arose that kept me from coming. Well, what kind of things had kept Paul from coming to Rome? He tells us in Romans chapter 15 these words. At present time, however, (laughs) I'm not coming to Rome. Why not? At present time, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Caia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. So Paul says, I'm not coming to you because I'm going to Jerusalem because the churches in Macedonia and Achaia have taken up an offering for the poor saints that are in Jerusalem, and I'm going to take that money to them. And that's more important right now than coming to see you, for they're needy. And these churches recognize the need, and we're going to meet it. So Paul says, I'm not coming to you yet. I've got to go to Jerusalem. That desire to meet the needs of the people of God. We are uh, well aware in the book of Acts how the early church, it spoke of having all things common, sharing with one another. So here's this very practical aspect of uh, caring for one another. It's in meeting the material and physical needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I am delighted with the ministry of our deacons and how seriously they take caring for our congregation in meeting the physical and uh, material needs of our congregation. Uh, We do things very low-key. We are not sounding trumpets, but there are people that receive financial help. There are people that receive materials. Uh, We have a lot of medical equipment available, hospital beds and wheelchairs and crutches and canes and potty chairs and you name it, uh, that when people come from the hospital and they need these particular uh, aids, that the church provides that for them free of cost. Uh, There are people that have great financial needs. The church steps in and meets those costs. That is part of our Christian duty. That is part of what we are as a body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, you can help with that. Uh, If you want to give towards those funds, you can give towards those funds. We all do through the general budget, but if you want to go up and beyond and give especially to that, you're you're welcome to do so. But it's the meeting of the needs of others. Um, Second, Extending hospitality to fellow believers is also a high priority seen in a crucial aspect of showing love. First Peter writes, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
So in our text, it says that we are to show this hospitality. Hospitality in the New Testament was necessary in providing for those who were traveling to preach and teach the word of God. In 3 John, we read this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So here were these brothers uh, that were proclaiming the word of God. They came to the city. People took them in, provided for them, aided them as they are missionaries, uh, sharing the word of God. Goes on to talk about uh, an individual that was opposing that work and how unloving and unkind and ungracious that individual was. So it concludes by saying, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. The good thing is to show hospitality to such individuals. Well, that need still exists to some extent today. Uh, there are people that come into our midst, missionaries sometimes come and need to stay overnight. And uh, we look for people uh, who will open up their homes and uh, entertain a missionary overnight. Uh, sometimes they need a, a meal after uh, a worship service. Uh, you could have them in your home. You could take them out to dinner. There's a lot of different ways that you could fulfill that responsibility. But it goes far beyond this aspect of uh, guest speakers and, and of missionaries. Uh, but rather, it's, it's a spirit of generosity, hospitality, making people feel welcome, making people feel at home and seeking to give them a good experience. Certainly, that is something that we can all do. Everyone should feel welcome in our presence. There should be no outsiders among the people of God. Everyone should feel that they are important, that they are recognized, that they are of worth, that they are of value. And yes, while we can do that in word, we can also do that in deed. And when you think about the gift of hospitality, and we can look at all these gifts, but that's what's in our text, this gift of hospitality, you know, there are other ways in which we can show this gift of hospitality that we do in our congregation in ways that you can be involved. For one, when someone goes home from the hospital, we contact that person that's coming home from the hospital and say, would you like a meal? Uh, knowing that many times people, when they're released from the hospital, are not 100% by any means, don't feel up to, to making a meal. Would you like a meal? And if they say yes, someone in the church provides them that meal. New mothers coming home from giving birth, we offer meals to new mothers. Uh, would uh, you like a meal? Not just new mothers, not just people in the hospital, but we have fellowship Sundays. And uh, we look for people to provide food <laughs> that are going to help prepare, that uh, you come, you, you bring your casseroles, you bring your desserts, you bring the thing. You know the process. That's showing hospitality. That is showing this gracious spirit. It's a spirit of sharing. 
And it's shown by helping to do the dishes when it's all over. Helping to set the tables back up. Sweeping the floor so that the custodians don't have to do all the extra work. Again, being concerned about other people having to do more than what they should. The point is there's so many ways that we can show love to one another in a very practical realm. Showing hospitality. Meeting the needs of others. So the conclusion is very simple. May our love for each other be real. May it be authentic. May it be genuine. May it arise out of our hearts in appreciation for what God has done for us and a desire to serve him. May we show love towards his own. For the ultimate realization is that our brother and sister in Christ are sons and daughters of God. And that's what makes them precious. They are precious to us for they are precious to him. And in serving him, we serve his children, our brothers and sisters. And so may we show love to one another in very real, authentic, genuine, practical ways that base that love out of a, an appreciation for and a recognition of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. He gives us that capacity. He gives us that willingness. He gives us that ability. And most importantly, he gives us the reason for hope. He gives us the reason for rejoicing. So rather than murmur and complain about my brother or sister, I need to rejoice in what God is doing in the life of my brother and sister. And maybe simply it's the fact that God brought them unto himself. And so we're thankful that our brother and sister knows the Lord Jesus Christ and then have hope for what God is going to do in them. And God is going to bless them. And God is going to use them mightily. And we're going to enjoy our fellowship with them for all eternity. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us to show love towards one another. May it be the real deal. May it not be some cheap imitation. May it not be the love that the world talks about, a love that quits on people, but love that never ends. Love hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, according to 1 Corinthians 13. Give us an unfailing love for one another that never gives up, never quits, never writes off. Always forgives, always welcomes, always receives, always provides. The real deal. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.